Welcome to Executive Tools. This week, part two of the Kernel of Strategy, my interview with Richard Rummelt, who wrote a fantastic book and now has written another one, and we'll get right into it. Here we go. Okay, so you have some examples of bad strategy. I mentioned that you were comfortable skewering strategies you disagreed with or that were not strategies at all, but called strategies, a la bloviating. Anybody you look back on in the past 25, 30, 40 years as an organization, not just an individual, and say they did it well, they were good at it? It's very hard to find organizations that do it well all the time. Right? I, I don't think all the time, most of the time. You know, your question makes me want to go and look at the data. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so I have data on which companies have created the most value over their whole lifetime. Right. You know, which companies succeeded in this decade. But, you know, what are the companies that succeeded over five decades, where each decade they yeah. They did well. Well, GE did that up until 2001. Up until, yeah. yes. Yes. And IBM did that for yeah. a long time. Yeah, long time. And Procter & Gamble did it for a long time. P&G is another good example of that kind of performance. I would say Shell. Petroleum. Yeah, Royal Dutch Shell. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So, yeah. I mean, there are companies that have achieved positions of success in their industry. Where right. It's gone on and on and on. IBM amazingly for so long. But on the other hand, IBM. Yeah. Gerstner turned it around. Yep. And one of his policies was, uh, we're going to focus on the customer. IBM right. stopped thinking so much about hardware. Hardware. Product right. And satisfied these customers. And because the big strength of IBM is we have entree to every large corporation in the world. Yeah. And they had enough people that they could. They could put enough people on customers to find out what they needed and give them solutions. And so he did that in the 90s. Now, what's the downside of that? The downside of that is his customers are the big old companies all over the world. Right. And the growth in software They're not Microsoft. has been <laughs> yeah. the young upstarts. Okay? Right. So, so you get something like uh, the new software companies. They're not serving the big giant brands right. of yesteryear. And IBM's kind of locked out right. of this uh, CRM so marketplace and some other things because of their strength. But that's that's life in some ways. Life is yeah. not, you're not going to conquer everything ever. Yeah. Well, and you're not going to live forever. And you're not going to yeah. live forever. Yeah. When GE came off of the uh, the Dow, I remember reading that in the journal, and I said, wow, my entire life, GE's been part of the Dow, and I mean, it's an institution, and it was a good lesson. I, I sometimes tell some of the younger people, and you and I are of a similar age, and so most everybody I talk to is younger than me, and I say to them every once in a while, when they say, oh, Apple and Facebook and Google are all great companies, I say, not yet, really. They're very good at making money right now. And they have mm -hmm. very good products that clearly are in demand, but give it 20 more years. And one guy said to me, he says, I'll be 50 then. And I said, <laughs> as if 50 is bad. And I was 60 when I was saying it. So, well, let me ask you then. Okay. Let me take a different take on that. I'm a manager, a senior manager, a young director. I'm 35. Okay. Mm -hmm. What should I be doing? to help myself become smarter, 
today so that if I ever get the brass ring and if I'm ever started to be invited into those meetings or I'm given a general managership and I have to come up with my own strategy at a small level at a, at a 20 or 30 or 50 or $100 million level, what should I be doing? How can I help myself short of going to Harvard? <laughs> going to Harvard used to be the solution. Half the CEOs yeah. in America came yeah. out of Harvard. It's not so much anymore, but it's not so no, much anymore. No. It seems to me that you you need a broad exposure to different things. Okay. And most people are hesitant to move physically. Right. They you have expertise. Companies. They don't want to relocate to Europe. Right. Um, that that the way one way two ways to develop yourself is as I said earlier, do something hard. Right. Something that, that most people thought couldn't be done. And secondly, is to change, change what you're looking at, change your experience. You know, this is going to sound very, very. This is what we do when when we have a, a company with an organization, and we say we want to wake this place up. We want to have them see how they could do things differently. We mm-hmm. yank out managers and we send them to some other organizations. It's sometimes yeah. it's called benchmarking. Yeah, but it's basically adventure travel for managers. Adventure. I've never heard that phrase before. In 30 years in this business, I've never heard adventure travel for managers, but I love it. And people learn new things. They see in new ways. Yeah. If you see uh, what you mentioned earlier, if you see your career as sort of this climb up this hill, well, that was the 50s. Yeah. Madman. Right. (laughs) We don't have that anymore. The man in the gray flannel suit. Yeah, we don't have that anymore. Right. I mean, we don't even have training programs for the kids coming out of college. You know, they don't know where to latch on. No. They wind up in MBA programs because they just want a job so they can pay for a car. Right. So what would I do? Let's narrow the question down a little bit. Um, By the way, a thought that popped in my head, which is very mundane, plebeian even, was there are some people who wouldn't be able to do what you recommended. I love the ideas, both of them is because they're worried about the risk that if they fail, they now have financial problems almost immediately. And so that's why we we have numerous podcasts, actually. I think we have about 10 podcasts where we tell people, the first thing you do is learn to live well within your means and save up a year of your salary so that you can have conversations and tell people what you really think. You don't have to worry about telling everybody what you think they want to hear in order to protect your mortgage payments. That's just sort of a very... It's a very plebeian kind of a side, but I know there are people who are listening who tell me all the time, Mark, I can't do that. I can't, I can't speak truth to power. I'm afraid. And they say, okay, that's okay. There's a way around the fear. Get a year's worth of money in the bank, live poor, don't go to Starbucks anymore, drink Folgers coffee like I do, and it starts to add up over time. Um, okay, but now we've got a manager, senior manager, director. What should she be reading? And And we're going to talk about the crux of your next book in a minute, mm. but, but what should she be reading that's accessible for her? There's probably some stuff that you read that's not accessible for regular folks like us, but yeah, I always say you got to subscribe to the wall street journal and you got to start reading it daily because everything in the wall street journal is outside of you. I like that. The next thing is I recommend Harvard business review for a while. I did Sloan, I, I don't like Harvard Business Review right now. I find its social justice motives are 
off-putting to me. Uh, Annoying, they're, yes. They're not, they're not talking about results anymore, which is a really big thing in organizations. So what should she be reading? Well, business books, I don't recommend. Oh, they're they're horrible. Books. Richard, I read 200 a year. 197 yeah. of them are bad. The reason I haven't had an experience, a response to a book like yours in 15 years. That's why you're on the show. First of all, the reason why you don't want to read most business books is because they're not about business anymore. Oh, okay. Most of them are about personal development. Oh, yeah. Self-help. Self-help. Yeah. Make a list. Decide what you really, 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 really want. <laughs> and stuff like that. You know, which is, we have its long tradition in the United States of having self-help books. And right. the business literature is, is sort of gone in that direction. How to become really intelligent. How to exude leadership. Yes, exude it. <laughs> exude it. And, and some of that is people are hired into these jobs where they're a manager but they're a manager in name only. So a typical MBA graduating from my program at UCLA or at INSEAD where I taught, but more so UCLA, they, they get a job, they're a product manager. Yeah. They don't oh, have any so products. what's a, what's your product manager? Well, nobody reports to them. Right. They run around with a PowerPoint thing and they try to talk to people and put together some PowerPoints. And so they are the factory floor bottom worker in the knowledge economy. Right. They're not a manager. They're a worker. They're like someone who used to work on the assembly line, but now they're working on the PowerPoint. Right. Line. They're working on the knowledge, right. not so, on the hardware. And they nevertheless have an appetite to read about business. That business books of today sort of feed that appetite. I think it's really important to know history. Okay. I like to read biographies of people. I like to know about Rockefeller. I like to know about Alan Greenspan. Yeah. I like to know about Franklin Roosevelt and uh, all of that stuff. Did you read Isaacson on jobs? And Yes. Yes. Isaacson's brilliant on yeah. jobs. Really good. Yeah. Do you recommend the book on Greenspan? I haven't read it. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a book called The Man Who Knew. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that I would recommend on Greenspan. Do you, do you echo my recommendation regarding the Wall Street Journal? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be informed. Yeah. You have to be informed. Um, less theory and more facts. Yeah. We also generally recommend a local newspaper, like if you're in the Silicon Valley, the, the Mercury News or the LA Times or the Washington Post or the New York Times. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I like good, good journalism. Good journalism includes biographies, it includes yeah. real, real history, it includes descriptions of what went on or what is going on. A lot of stuff I skip over is slanted. It's, oh, it's yeah. tell-alls, uh, bad blood, secrets and lies in Silicon Valley. Right. You know, he's trying to skewer somebody. I, you know, I don't know what his motives are. I exactly. will say, I'll, 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 I'll just say, in response to you mentioned bad blood it was just so bad it was worth reading it was so <laughs> okay. i mean it was wow the fraud was just on an epic yes. epic yes. The, the chutzpah to say 
we're going to try to fake everybody out was <laughs> mind-boggling. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, I wrote about some of that stuff and my publisher took it out. Oh, that's too bad. My head, yeah. We, we, he said we don't want to get sued. Yeah, that's generally a good strategy. There's an interesting book, The Lords of Finance. Okay. Uh, by uh, a guy named Ahmed. Uh, you know, so how, how did the world get to be the way it is? Okay. And how did these things happen? Right. Uh, I anger my colleagues by saying the only real social science is history. Ooh, it's that's very trenchant. I like that. Yeah. The rest of it, the rest of it is is, is driven by political agendas. Ooh, that that will anger some of your colleagues, won't it? Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so I like that. Yeah, you forget I said that. You and I are cut from a similar cloth. If our listeners will tell you, Mark is not afraid to tell people exactly what he. Th- I I used to get hired, and people would say, "Well, what do you think?" I said, "Well, it's clear you ought to do this," and <laughs> and I would get in trouble. And I remember told my older brother, who went to West Point before I did, and I said to him, "I said, he says, when you think back on your career." What, how, how do you feel about it? I said, I made, I spent too long making the mistake of assuming that when people asked me what I thought, I should tell <laughs> them what I thought. Now, now it's a badge of honor for me. Okay. But you mentioned publisher a minute ago. You have a new book coming out, The Crux. Um, I think it leads off of good strategy, bad strategy. I've already got my pre-ordered copy. I encourage our audience to, to tell us about The Crux. Well, The Crux is an attempt to begin to answer Rumsfeld's question. Okay. How should we how should we actually construct a strategy? It attempts to to go beyond uh, the kernel as a, an instruction set. Okay. The crux comes from uh, mountain climb. The word. Oh yeah, there's a, on the cover. There's a guy in a, yeah. on a cornice. Yeah. Uh, an overhang, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you if you read the introduction of the crux, there's uh, Asya Gretton, who's a doctoral student at the Sorbonne, and she's climbing a, a difficult boulder, and she's passing the crux in the in the photo that's reproduced there. And this boulder is in the forest of Hultamol outside Insiad, where I okay. taught for three or four years, and. The incident I relate is talking to some French climbers who come up from a town near the Alps to climb these boulders. And I asked them, why'd you come here? Uh, the Alps where you live. Yeah. <laughs> and one says, well, I like to tackle climbs that are the most interesting where I think I can handle the crux. And here I can get better at some of those moves mm-hmm. quick, more quickly. Yeah. And high up on an alp. Right. Which may not be a terribly technical climb, but it is nevertheless very important. It's significant. It's, right. it's risky. So he's, yeah. Yeah. he's balancing. And I suddenly realized that this is sort of what the most effective managers, leaders I know, do. They are aware of what's the most interesting thing out yeah. there. And they're aware of can I handle the crux on that? Yeah. Is it addressable? Yeah. Will my, could my organization do something to make a difference there? Right. Right. And then the third element of the skill set of this person is the ability to focus, the ability to channel energy 
on solving that crux problem. It's, but, but it goes back to what we said, we're talking about earlier. You have to be sensitive and sensitized and aware of what's going on outside. Yeah. And, and, and then you also have to have the skill to be able to align people internally. Those are two, I mean, Amazing. it's not like 95% of the people carry those, both of those skills around. Some people have one, some people have the other, but both is, that's tough. Yeah, it's tough, and and the skill is is rare. I mean, you get you get more and more achievement out of people, successful achievement rather than just uh, honors, uh, when they have these poorly held skills where people don't have those skills. You know, most of us have a skill of being able to judge another human and saying, "Yeah, you know, is that <laughs> a good guy or yeah. a bad guy?" Right. Yeah, uh, I trust him or I don't. Yeah. Fewer people have the ability to judge a group, a team. You know, is this team really working together well or isn't it? Uh, some people have the ability to look at marketplaces and see what the trends are or not. Maybe fewer than the, than the team people. Fewer people still have the ability to, to think about an organization of thousands and how, how its chemistry works and how one might lead it. And fewer still have the ability to to combine all that with uh, with an intuition and how to change the world to to create new value. I mean, yeah. those, if you start looking at at this sort of pyramid of skills, of course, it's yeah. rare. Yeah, it's rare. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I think about those skills. I'm reminded of something Drucker said, where he said, as organizations started to grow, and this class of managers started existing who were wearing their gray flannel suits and and. They weren't necessarily being developed, even though growth was happening. Everybody was happy. Market share maybe was was staying flat, but because America, you, she used a couple of American examples, America was growing, you could keep your dividend up and everybody would be happy with the stock and and people would get promoted and so on. But they discovered they had to start recruiting some of the people, or as that started to happen, they had to start recruiting small business owners into the organization who had to face the kinds of things that general managers would face. And it, it got me thinking and talking to our clients about what can they do to help managers, senior managers, directors, and so on to get more exposure to that. Now, look, the problem often is the VP doesn't want to give that senior director who's pretty darn good more responsibility because he or she is afraid they're going to be shown up. We all have egos and we're all insecure in our own ways. But I have to tell you, if I could just snap my fingers and make everybody start delegating more so that you could fail, like if you're my boss, I could fail underneath you. Yes, it was your responsibility. They're going to forgive you. You're the one that knows I'm the one that did it. And that's how I learn when I take over your job about what your job is like, is I've started to do it already, and you've given me some guidance. And when I actually have it, I'm not so fearful that I simply shut down. And the more we do that, the, I'm going to say this, this is going to sound really corny. I don't mean to be sucking up to you. The more you give me cruxes early in my career, the easier it will be for me to face them later. But that's not what I see in terms of managerial and leadership behaviors. It's difficult. Yeah. We, we, we want to develop people, but we don't want to stress them too much. Oh, I actually, I do. I want to stress them. Yeah. I mean, look at the military. The military trains in pretty stressful ways. 
they, they, they push people hard. Hard. Now, where is an organization where they actually train salespeople equivalently to having, having to go in and, and deal with a tough customer? We set it up like, like actors, okay? But you, here's a guy, and he's going to be a tough customer. And you've, got to, you've got to deal with her. Yeah. Do we train anybody that way? No. 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 We just send them out and hope for the best. Yeah. So, I mean, we have a long way to go. Yeah, we do. For that. You asked me earlier, uh, you know, what should someone be doing to right. develop themselves in their career? And I didn't answer that as well as I'd like to. Take another and shot. I think, I think the answer, one of the answers is learning how to fix things. Okay. There's a lot of value in business. Government's harder because nobody has the power to fix it. Right. But there's a lot of power in business from fixing things that are being done wrong, which is not good English, but right. <laughs> it's what I mean. Being done incorrectly or wrong. And if I send you into a business situation or a managerial situation, I say, make this better. I don't know if you can do that or not. But if there's something actually being done wrong, aha, uh -huh. now we have the opportunity to make things better by stopping error. Okay, now that is a much surer path for developing skills. And you see a lot of people, that's how they succeed. It's certainly what you they, do. They go fix things. Yeah, they yeah. go fix things. Yeah. If we're, if we're sitting around and saying, should Microsoft acquire Nokia? I'm not sitting around the boardroom and having this yeah, discussion. Yeah. What are you going to change about Nokia? You're going to bring in better managers? Yeah, yeah, we're going to bring in better managers. We're going to change their product development path. Yeah. That's not the issue with Nokia. The issue is what are you going to fix? Because they're doing lots of things wrong. Right. So the opportunity when you're acquiring a company typically is either, either you're going to strip off certain key assets and that's the end of the story. Or you're going to fix something. And that'll make you some value and it'll help. But if, you're, if your thought is we're going to buy this company and manage it better. Well, unlikely. Yeah. Very, very uh, unlikely. Yeah. I don't bet on that. And so the same thing in a, in a, in a personal career. Uh, you're going you're gonna to do a lot better. You're going to shine better. You're going to achieve more. You're going to learn more. Yeah. If you devote yourself to fixing things. I can think back to numerous books or stories I've read about people whose careers were, you know, I was the guy, I was the gal that they sent and I fixed Australia. And then they asked me to fix China. And then they asked me to fix South America. And the next thing I know, I'm running North America and I'm potentially succeeding the CEO. Right. Yeah. It's like, there's a saying, I spent 25 years, you spent some time in France. I spent 25 years in Texas. And there's a famous phrase in Texas, one riot, one ranger, right? <laughs> there was a riot up in Abilene or Amarillo and they telegraphed down for the rangers. And uh, two days later, this, this ranger gets off the, the train to quell this riot that's been going on for a week. Not his horse, but a train. Yeah, yeah. And he gets off, and they say, where's the rest of them? And he says, one riot, one ranger. <laughs> Which is classic ranger talk. Um, but yeah, the ability to go in and to figure out what you need to fix, and then to have the discipline to see it all the way through, and to fix it, and to write whatever's wrong, and to improve whatever financial metrics you've got, and so on. 
I've heard that story over and over again in my career. Okay. I've taken up too much of your time already, Richard. Anything, any, any last things you want to share? I'll, I'll certainly make a separate case for the crux and I will be reviewing it in my weekly email to everybody who gets it. Any last things you want to share? I'm not sure. I think we've covered a lot of ground and uh, I don't want to bore people with too long uh, uh, an interview or podcast, but uh, I think that uh, one, of the, one of the interesting issues of our time is why do we have so much bad strategy? What has gone wrong? Because before we had the concept of strategy, which appears, Peter Drucker brings it up in his second edition, not his first and says you've got to have a mission that people are willing to sacrifice for, which isn't the same as a strategy, but he calls it the strategy in that. But since then, it's become, everybody's got one, it's an industry, and yet the actual practice of it has become weak. Yes. And uh, it's not clear that we have a craft there at all. And it's, um, it's sad, in a way. I mean, if you look at stuff that's in the newspapers every day, you it's not hard to uh, to see bad strategy almost everywhere you look. Right. I think next time I hear somebody talk about return on investment or invested capital or anything else, I'm going to think of this this interview. Richard, thank you for being here. And I hope you'll be willing, at least because you're a professor emeritus, to consider coming back. You can be our fifth and our sixth <laughs> in, in over 1,200 podcasts. Okay, folks, that's it. Probably for some of you, some of the discussion was over your head. There are parts that felt that way to me too, but that's part of what being an executive is, is being exposed to stuff outside and around and above you and learning to understand it bit by bit as you get exposed to it more and more. We'll be doing more of these in the future. Look forward to seeing you again in a few weeks on Executive Tools. Executive Tools.